Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Um, how many were here last week? You can raise your hand or watched online. So you heard a couple questions Mike asked us. One of the questions is, um, will we follow Jesus? Will we follow? Or why do we follow? That was right. Why do we follow? Because I want to ask, will we follow? That's why I brought that up. Uh, why do we follow? This week I want to ask, will we follow? Will we follow Jesus? Okay, another question. How many have played video games before? Raise your hand. Okay. A lot of, a lot of us, a lot of younger people. What are your favorite games, video games? Like what? What? Tegan? What? Fortnite. Fortnite. Oh, yeah. What? what? Halo. Halo. That's an older one. What else? What's that? Minecraft. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of Minecraft going on in my house with Steve. You're building all these Lego things. So there's a couple different kinds of games. There's, nice. There's a couple different kinds of games. There's first-person games and second-person games. First-person games, I was, I was listing the ones from my childhood. And then there's uh, third-person games. Um, Madden was one when we were kids. Uh, Mario Brothers, where you're looking on and watching the character go. And, and first-person, you are that character. And in those video games, the, the genius behind it and the story behind it is you are joining the journey and becoming a part of that journey. In the Gospels, uh, in the book, in the Bible, and in, in the book of Matthew, which we're studying particularly, it invites us to join along and, I think, to hear the call to follow Jesus. Too often, we, myself included, we don't stop and listen the voice of God, to hear him speak and obey. This morning, we're going to continue our series, and we're going to zoom in. So we looked at verses 13 through 25, maybe it's 12 through 25 last week. We're going to zoom into five verses. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. Jesus is calling his first disciples to follow. They listen to his word and obey. And the question, again, is for us, is will we do the same? Will we follow Jesus? So let's read this. You can open your Bibles. The words will be projected. I've asked uh, Kennedy Cracker to come up and read for us God's Word, and we have a, a tradition to stand in honor of it. Would you stand with me now? While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And when he said to them, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there he saw two two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Thanks, Kenny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to hear from you. Um, we come in all different, you know, from all different places right now. Some are hungry for your word. Um, we want to hear from you today. Uh, others maybe are just are hungry for lunch, and we are distracted by what's going on inside us. Uh, some of us may be tired. Uh, want to go back to bed, didn't sleep well. Um, Lord, 
help us. Some of us are anxious and we are worried, consumed with thoughts and burdens. Lord, give us peace. Some of us might be frustrated, frustrated with life and the injustices we face. Lord, help us. Hear our prayer. Uh, we have drives and appetites working inside us as we listen to your word. So Heavenly Father, break into this moment and show us yourself by your Holy Spirit. Call us and invite us to yourself through your word and make us disciples, doing your work in your way, with your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So let's recall where we've been and kind of overview of Matthew 1 through 4 here in the first chapter, he introduces us to the story of Jesus. Jesus is a son of who? Son of God. We learn that. Who else? What's that? Mary and Joseph. Yep. Who else? Begins with the son of Abraham and the son of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's a prophecy that a king would come after David from his line that would reign forever, of a kingdom that would not end. And Matthew's saying this is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God, who fulfills 2 Samuel chapter 7. In chapter 2, what happens? King Herod comes along, another king of a different kingdom, and doesn't like competition. He seeks to destroy Jesus by killing all the babies in Bethlehem, all the young children, you might remember that, but fails to kill Jesus. Jesus flees by word from an angel. They go to where? Egypt. They go to Egypt. His family goes to Egypt, and they're there until Herod passes away. And they move back when they get word to Nazareth, you might remember, this small little town in the land of Galilee. There, Jesus grows up. And the next we hear in chapter 3 of a relative of his down in the Jordan. Who is it? John the Baptist. John the Baptist is baptizing. He's saying, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And crowds from all over are gathering to see this man wearing dated clothing, eating locusts, bugs, and proclaiming this radical message. Um, Even the Pharisees and Sadducees are checking him out. And he says there's going to be one who's going to baptize a different way, who's going to come after him, whom his sandal he couldn't even carry. And we know who that is. Next to appear on the scene is Jesus. And Jesus asks John to baptize him. John does that. He obeys Jesus. He baptizes him. And then what happens? The sky opens up, and the Heavenly Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. And then we get to chapter 4. And what happens? What happens in chapter 4? Anybody? Temptation of Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness, into the wild. And he, he fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. He doesn't eat any food. He doesn't drink any water. And what happens when we're... we're um, not eating. It's not easy, is it? If you miss a meal, it's hard. And Satan maximizes that opportunity to tempt him. And Jesus is victorious. Three times he is tempted and three times he succeeds to beat back temptation where we would certainly not. And 
he's victorious. Then he begins his ministry, and it kind of begins our passage for this morning. His, he goes public, and he preaches, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The passage we're looking at and zooming in is five verses. It's very short. It begins simply with Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. He's walking along, and he calls two sets of brothers to follow him. And they leave what they're doing, and they obey. They listen to his words and obey. That's it. It's simple. It's a, st- a short story, and it has a pattern to it. So if, if, if we did our Sunday school, we've done this scripture discovery. We kind of, wait, how do you diagram this? This is how I would break it down. I think we have a slide for it. Do we have a slide for that right there? So there's a setting. Jesus' invitation to Peter and Andrew, would you follow me? And then Peter and Andrew, they follow him, these brothers. And then Jesus' invitation to James and John, two other brothers, to follow him. And then they obey in verse 22. I was talking to someone this week, and as pastors, we looked at this, and it seems kind of abrupt, right? He just walks along the sea, comes up to them and has, will you follow me? And they leave what they're doing and follow him. Like in real life, um, how would this work? Is he randomly walking up to strangers and just saying, hey, follow me, you follow me, you follow me, and they, they do that? It doesn't seem real, in a, and it doesn't seem like that's not how it works or how we work. And, and that's not exactly all that's happened. We're getting the overview, the cliff note version. The, the Gospels of John and Luke pull out more of the story. So if you want to read kind of the backstory, those would be passages you could go to and chapters you could go to to hear more about who these guys are. They're a fishing team. They do this. They're aware of Jesus. Uh, But I think it raises a question for us. Why did Matthew leave off all that information? Why did he leave off these details? I think it's because he, he wants us to focus on. What does he want us to focus on? He wants us to join these disciples in following Jesus into his coming kingdom. And and that's the overview, a a big picture of the book of Matthew. Follow the promised king into his kingdom. Follow the promised king into his kingdom. Matthew is comparing disciples here with, if we look at the broader context, crowds. The crowds are following him, but they're a little different in how they follow. And then as we get to chapter 5, come back next week, we're going to hit the Sermon on the Mount. This This is amazing. I think the Sermon on the Mount can quickly be taken out of context and misunderstood and be confusing. But you see the crowds are there, and Jesus walks up on the mountainside. He sits down. The disciples come to him. There's the crowds and the disciples. Both are following. And he begins to distinguish what does it look like to really follow Jesus. Are we a follower or are we a fan? However, in these five verses, I think we can find some help here for us. Will we follow Jesus? Will we follow Jesus? Following is not just for the disciples and the masses in the ancient Israel. This invitation is, is, is for us. It's for the young people. It's for me. It's for you. It's for Monday. It's for Wednesday. It's for Saturday. It's for today. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was, um, I was in India, and thanks for those of you who were praying for me. I was on a mission trip. I joined a small group of people since COVID. They haven't been back, and we support, through mission giving, this group called IRAF. It's a rural part of India. And I was there, and the, the leader of the, you know, locally there is Dr. Emmanuel Reba. And he's been praying, what should we do? They're, they do a retreat every summer called the Believer's Retreat. And he was praying, 
how should I challenge the students that are in his, hundreds of students that are in his campus that he serves, but then his pastors and villagers that come to this, this large church gathering. Um, we may have had a thousand in, in, our, in our, the auditorium. And he felt like Micah 3.7 is the verse that he wanted to focus on, returning to the Lord. And so the call for all our messages, I gave a couple and uh, several, and he gave some and some other guys spoke, was t- for people to return to the Lord. And, and I didn't understand everything that was said. You know, I understood the English that was spoken, but the Telugu I didn't. But uh, what I did understand is these people were hungry for the Lord. They, they spent hours and hours singing, and their services are way longer than ours, and praying and uh, listening to messages. Um, I think a Sunday morning service, it was like five hours or four or five hours just for one service, but then they had these other services that we went to. Um, in the end, we had 21, 21 people make a public profession for faith and be baptized. Uh, the next day, two more, and last week I just heard, you know, I've been back, but last week eight more gave their lives uh, to Christ when we were baptized. And several were Hindu, one was a Muslim in that first 21. And it was, it was powerful to sit there and watch these students and adults give testimony, and some with tears, because their parents were saying, don't get baptized, don't get baptized. And why would they not want to get baptized? Well, if they're Hindu, um, this means leaving what their family believes. This might mean that they are separated from their family. And it's certainly, in the, according to the Indian governmental rules, um, there's persecution for those who espouse Christianity or the Islamic faith. And so they are going to face uh, sanctioned financial persecution as well as potential family persecution. Uh, one of the, the people that would, would, would serve us, so different people were, uh, everyone has a job in this campus, was a gal named Latchme. Uh, shy, They're all, these, these young ladies are shy, and they come and they do different things um, uh, to, to the guest, you know, help with the guests, like cleaning and bringing food and... and um, uh, she ended up, I, I didn't know her, I didn't talk to her uh, that much, but she was the one who felt the conviction to become a follower of Jesus, be baptized, and profess her faith. And she was Hindu, and she has a new name of Ruth now. And by taking on a new name, we'll face that kind of financial and potentially family um, persecution for making that stand. And I share this because following Jesus is not something just for those 2,000 years ago. It's not something that we just do because our parents did it. It's not something we do just because it's easy. And, and they, these children, these adults, are making a stand because something's happened by the power of the Holy Spirit within their hearts. This is a real thing. They are following Jesus. And it can happen in India, and it can happen in America. And it's something that God invites us to join as well. Will you follow Jesus? Matthew notes that the four of these, these guys, these two sets of brothers, they gave up their livelihood, they gave up their possessions, they gave up their family to follow Jesus. They dropped their nets, they left their boats, they left and moved away. Jesus calls them and changes their direction from fishing for men to fishing for what? Or fishing for fish, for fishing for men, right? To fishing for, for men. 
And, and, then, and then if we read the rest of the accounts, we read in, in, in the Gospels, they're living on the generosity of those around them. That's hard. Some of us have done that, right? Um, they're, they're following Jesus in kind of a, a ragtag bunch of guys, nomadically moving around. And some of us like to move around, and that can be fun for some, but most of us, it's like we like normal and stable and familiar. And Jesus isn't all that. He changes things up. He's super smart, super strong, and he's, he's a puzzling figure and says things that are really encouraging and says things that are really challenging. And he has them, he teaches them, and he has them go out and do things. Teach, cast out demons, heal. And they're going to strangers, and they're, and they're talking to people about Jesus and this coming kingdom. We'll read that in Matthew chapter 10. This, this is, this is an, an incredible journey that he's inviting them on, and they, take, they say yes to this journey. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. He is the promised king coming into his kingdom and is inviting them, and he's inviting us to join him. Will we follow Jesus? Awesome. I like that. And you know what? A little child can say yes. I was a little, a little child, and I said yes. And so if you're a child here, you can say yes and follow Jesus. And if you're an adult, you can say yes and follow Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. I, you know, I, I really love the responsiveness uh, of church here. There's sometimes, um, you're at, you're, if you ever teach or you're, you're talking, you're like, are people with you? And so just having that kind of interaction is really helpful and um, and, and, you know, I was, in, I was trying to do that in India, and people aren't, you know, it just goes through a translator to get to Telugu, and I'm like, okay, what are they saying? Are you guys going to need to say some more? And, but it was just, it's, it's great to have that kind of responsiveness. Uh, so Matthew, um, let's see here. So will we follow? Okay, we're going to read the, in the rest of the Bible. We hear a little bit more about what happens to these guys. James, for example. James says, hey, I'm going to follow. He says yes to Jesus. He follows him for three years. But then what happens? Gets to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember? The guards come to take Jesus. He runs away. He abandons Jesus. Feels bad about it. I'm sure he felt bad about it. Jesus dies. They go to the upper room. They all gather together. And Jesus, I'm sure, forgives him. Because he's going to keep his promise. He's going to make him a fisher of men. We read later that James in Acts chapter 12, he's the leader of the church, the early church. And guess what happens? As he's, making fish, as he's fishing for men, he's leading the church. He is following Jesus to death. Another King Herod, not the one who killed all the babies in Bethlehem, but another King Herod related to this, this other, earlier King Herod, has him killed by the sword for his faith. He followed Jesus at great personal cost. We read about Peter. Peter's one of the ones we read. The Bible talks a lot about Peter. Peter, too, gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and turns tail and runs. He abandons Jesus. Now, he gets to his senses, I think, a little bit earlier, comes back, and in the courtyard, he's there with Jesus as Jesus is waiting to be under uh, crucified. But he denies him, right? Three times. Jesus dies. Peter goes to the upper room. He meets with Jesus privately. I'm, I'm sure there's words. And John tells us a little bit more about the interaction. He's forgiven. And Jesus keeps his promise and makes him fisher, a fisher of men. 
And Peter's part of that early church. He faces persecution, imprisonment for his faith. He follows Jesus. He follows Jesus. And we read that Jesus predicted this in John, that he will suffer a very similar fate that Jesus did. Under, I think it's Emperor Nero, he was crucified upside down for his faith. Why does he follow? He followed Jesus to the point of death at great personal cost and gave up his life. Andrew followed Jesus, got to the garment to give Semini, turned tail, ran, just like the rest of them. Then he meets, he goes to the upper room, and after several days, uh, you know, uh, when Jesus rises, he meets Jesus as well. And I'm sure is forgiven, and Jesus keeps his promise and makes him a fisher of men as well. Uh, tradition, history, notes he was uh, a, a minister in Greece and preached Christ. Many believed, and eventually the authorities said, stop. He's preaching against idol worship of the day, and they're like, stop this. And he won't. And so what do they do? They crucify him. How did, he know, how did he know following Jesus was going to lead to this? And how did he know that he was doing the right thing? Why did he do this? Why did he risk his life for the sake of sharing Christ? John, John followed Jesus after three years. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he too abandons Jesus. And we know he also, like Peter, was there in the courtyard. He went to the cross, was there seeing Jesus crucified. Jesus, I'm sure, forgave him. He repented. He forgave him. And Jesus kept his promise and made him a fisher of men. And we read in Acts, he was persecuted for his faith as well. As he's sharing his faith, he's being thrown into prison. Again, history points that he went to Ephesus and was a leader there and was also persecuted and then thrown into the Isle of Patmos where he was imprisoned and died for his faith in prison. He followed Jesus. How do you know where to follow Jesus? Where to go, what to say? The way is narrow that leads to life, and few find it. Literally, we read in the rest of chapter 4 that crowds followed Jesus. And Jesus' invitation was a little different. It was to repent. He preached and prayed and performed miracle after miracle. Where do you see yourself in the story? As Just like a, a video game, if we're to j- jump in and, and be a part of this, where are we? Will you follow Jesus? Would you follow Jesus? I, I think much, many of us would, right? We're like, okay, I'd follow Jesus. However, would we keep following him when the going got tough? when you're in the Garden of Gethsemane, when you see persecution or disappointments, where you think, oh, you know what? This is how my life is supposed to be. You have a picture for how life is supposed to be, and then it doesn't work out. You're doing all the right things, and it doesn't work out. How many have been there? It's in those moments that I think it's important for us to go to a second question. Because I think, I think much, of us, much of us would say, yeah, let's, we'll follow Jesus. But the second question is, what does it look like? What does it really look like? In chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it, it paints a picture for following Jesus in detail. However, I think verses 20 and 22 of our chapter 4 are instructional. 
and I don't want to brush over them. Um, I think some of us, I don't, I don't want us to say, I don't have enough strength to follow him, and uh, like the saints of old. And maybe we don't have a strength, we need to trust in the Lord, I get that. But to just give up following him because I don't have enough strength, I don't want us to do that. Some might just write this off and say, well, they, this is their call, and certainly their call to their call. We're not all called to be pastors and missionaries and copycats, but and even pastors and missionaries, there's a way we follow God that is like all of us. All of us can follow God in the day-to-day. There, there's 24 hours in the day, right? And we sleep for six to eight, maybe. Um, we eat for one to three. We work from, for maybe six to, to eight. Um, six to 12, maybe. Um, how do we follow the Lord? Paul talks about in Colossians, I think, a broader understanding of what it looks like to follow the Lord and in Corinthians. So look at Colossians, or you can just write this down. We'll have it projected. Colossians chapter, chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I think this is instructional because I think what we, we, we sometimes compartmentalizing what following Jesus is like. It's when you go on a mission trip. It's, it's, it's when you're teaching a devotional or going to teaching Sunday school. We can follow Jesus in whatever we do. And in 1 Corinthians, it says this, chapter 1, verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 31, says this, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So even eating can be done for the glory of God. We can follow Jesus in our eating. Do we? Will we? Will we follow Jesus? The disciples were called to fish, not for fish, but fish for men, and Jesus is going to hit this. He's, he's building the church, and he's going to build the church with this small group. It's going to expand internationally, and now it is in the millions. People are following Jesus. They're making disciples. Our mission as a church is to continue this mission that is, he's giving these men. And so we're doing that. We're building the churches. There's different parts to play. Some people are prayer warriors. Some people are, are, are giving and supporting sacrificially. And some people are giving time. So the second question again for us is, what does is what following Jesus look like? What does it really look like for you? For you who say, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to follow Jesus. Verses 20 and 22, I think, are helpful. And so I have three sentences here. Really, it becomes one. They, these disciples, they listen. They listen to Jesus' word, and they listened and they obeyed. Are you willing to listen to the Lord? You know, in my life, I love to be busy. There is a, I don't know if you feel this way, there is a buzz to just being busy and getting things done. So I have a to-do list and I work my to-do list. I have an Excel spreadsheet. I'm just, and I know some of you are like, no way. And on a day off, I don't do that. But on a, on when, I'm, when I'm working, I'm like, I just get jazzed up about that. But with the problem with being busy is we can be so busy that we will not hear the voice of the Lord. And why won't we Listen. Sometimes it's because we're afraid. If I, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I stop, I won't get this things, these things done. 
If I stop, I might hear something that's really uncomfortable. If I stop, I may have to give up something. I may have to do something. There can be fear that drives us away from listening to the Lord. It could be something that, you know, I'm really enjoying and I just don't want to. Will we listen? Some of us need to slow down. And it's not our strength. And so my challenge for you, church, is to take some time to slow down. Take time every day to listen to the Lord, to quiet your hearts and consider what he's saying. I'm reading about church and how different churches do church right now. And one book is talking about church out in the Chicago area. And they just have a moment of silence in their service. I'm like, whoa, that's uncomfortable. But I think in the silence, the Lord can speak. He can quiet our hearts. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. You the verse? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So, as an experiment, I thought, let's be silent for a moment. I'm going to take out my phone and just time it, but let's listen. Maybe the Lord will speak in a still, small voice. Let's quiet our hearts, the noise that distracts, and let's just listen. That was 60 seconds. And that can, I'm watching the clock, and it is it's so distracting. Did you hear the Lord speak? What did he say? And maybe you didn't. I felt like God is glorious. That's what I thought. I, I sensed he speaks He speaks today, and we must listen to his voice. We must create bandwidth and margin in our lives so that we can hear him speak. Now, the disciples are truly listening to Jesus, Emmanuel, the Savior, God's beloved Son. What Jesus said is true and right and good. Unfortunately, there are other voices out there, right? How do we tell the voice between the voice of Jesus or the voice of God and just something we want, something someone else wants. How do we discern between what is right, between God's voice? What do you think? What's that? It's temporary. So what is 
not God is temporary. What, what else? How do we discern what is God's voice? Oh, what are you holding up there? The Bible, right? And that's what I was going for. The Bible is what we need to test it. We need to test that. And they had Jesus back then, so they could go back and ask him, and he may not give them the answer they're looking for. It's a little, he, he's smart, and he's wise, and he's all-knowing, and kind of, he's doing something, shaping them. But we have our Bible, where the Holy Spirit will speak through it. There's a danger when listening, is we can conjure up in our mind something that isn't there, or that's not God, and we can misinterpret. We can baptize sin or conspiracy theories in the name of God when they, it's not okay. So how do we know God's voice? We've got to go to the Bible. The disciples had Jesus right in front of them, and we have the Spirit guiding us into truth. Through the truth, he guides us to the Bible. And in fact, I think we just, Pastor Jeff just taught on this. Jesus himself, if it's good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. He's in the, this wilderness. He's being tempted, and Satan's taking the Bible and just twisting it. And he goes, Jesus goes back to the Bible to get at what is the Bible saying to fight Satan's lies. And I think we would do very well to do the same. Remember the disciples, how do they listen? How do we know and follow God's voice? Well, they listened, and they listened to Jesus' words. And so we too should listen to Jesus' words. Finally, they listened to Jesus' words and obeyed. They dropped their nets. They left their boats. They said goodbye. Following involves action. They followed immediately and definitively. We know there's more to the story, but we know they, do le- they did leave their nets. They did leave their boats and their family. They fo- their following was clear. So the question for us might be, is, following, is our following clear? Assume we want to follow Jesus. Assume we kind of know what, is it look, what it looks like in the day-to-day eating and drinking and whatever we do, are we? If you were to have a body cam strapped to you, what would people see? If there was a, a virus put on your phone or your computer and they were to watch everything you're doing, what would they see? If you were bugged with like their, the Google Voice or whatever the thing is and they just trap all your, your what you say, you know, you trap your mind thoughts, are we following Jesus? Is my following clear? Or am I following something or someone else? Following Jesus certainly will mean turning from sin and turning to righteousness. It can be confronting, it can be someone, it can mean doing something, going somewhere. It mean giving up something. It can mean death even to what I love and like. It can be done in the extraordinary and in the mundane. The bottom line is it isn't always easy, is it? It can be intimidating. Reading the disciples' immediate, definitive, radical obedience can bring up lots of different kind of gut-level emotions, like fear and frustrations, you know, like uneasiness, overwhelming. So it brings up a third question. So we had the first question is, will we follow Jesus? The second is, how do we follow Jesus? And then, you know, with that is they, they listen, they listen to Jesus' word, they listen to Jesus' word and obey, but then how do we follow Jesus? Say we want to, but how do we want to want to? How do we, how do we, how do we make or help our hearts and motivate ourselves? 
I think the key, I think a key is to remember who is inviting us to follow. And what is he inviting us? What is he saying? Jesus is the one talking. It's not any old person. This is Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of David, who fulfills 2 Samuel chapter 7. He is God with us, the King. He is the Son of God. He is worthy of obedience. Not only that, he's telling them he is the one making them disciples, fishers of men. And Jesus is calling them to himself. So how does knowing who he is and what he's saying help us? So I'm coaching uh, soccer this uh, I'm coaching soccer this fall, and I love it. And what do we do in our practice? What do we do? My son's in junior church, but we do stretching and we do running and drills. Are those fun? Sometimes they are. He had a good time. But if you keep doing them, sometimes you're like, man, why are we doing this? I just want to play. I just want to scrimmage. I want to get to the game. And parents, you get this, where you have a vision for what's good for your kids, and your kids may not agree. Eat your vegetables, right? Um, or go to bed and, and stop playing video games. Do your homework first, and then you can play, you know? We have a, we have a, a love and affection for our children. We, have care, we care for them. We want what's good for them. And what we say is good. But sometimes it doesn't kind of feel that way or make sense, maybe. We were all kids once. And the Heavenly Father, how much more, loves us with a, a love that sacrifices one and only Son for us. And He says, here's what I have for you. And He offers us to follow the, the adventure of joining Him on this journey. And, and the disciples, they listened to Jesus' word and obeyed. And God invites us to do the same. He is all wise and powerful, and invites us to join him in, his direct, in his, this journey. And so we read our Bibles, we listen, and we believe. And when we struggle, we must remember who he is. He's a God who loves us and calls us into that relationship, who died on the cross to forgive us our sins so that we can continue to have a new mercy each day. We can have a new chance today, this moment. Maybe you, you've gone through this week and you're like, ah, I totally am not following him. I should be following him. I want to follow him. I want to want to follow him. Well, he died on the cross because we couldn't do it. We couldn't. In our Sunday school, the, the, we talked about the bar is so high we can't do it. But the good news is he died to forgive us, and so now we have an opportunity to follow him. Who doesn't want to follow Jesus, a loving Jesus who invites us to join him on this journey? I, I love uh, a, lot, a lot of these little verses that, that, uh, that Paul says, and uh, Philippians 1.6 was one that came to mind. It's super encouraging for those who are just like, man, this is so tough. When I, you know, I have to listen and I have to do this, this is when, I, when, I, when the road is tough, Philippians 1.6 is, is one of those encouraging verses. Um, and I want to end the service uh, with a benediction on, on an encouraging verse, but here's one. Uh, do we have this? And I am sure of this, he's talked in the church, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'll make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. 
whether it's that six-year-old who's like, yes, I want to follow, or whether it's a 60-year-old or 96-year-old, I will make you a fisher of men. Hear the word of grace, the, the beautiful call of Christ. He is shaping us and helping us to do the very task he asks us. Let's begin again today. His mercy is new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your kindness and mercy. Your word is light and life, and we need you. We need your word to guide us, to slow us down, to hear your voice, to shape us and mold us into your Son, and to say yes when it's tough. Thank you that you invite us into this as you've invited your disciples. Get glory in us and this church. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.